I want to jump to uh, this story here. We have this uh, clip from the Joe Rogan Experience. Jack Posobiec says breaking Joe Rogan says there was real fraud in the Kerry Lake election. The context beyond this is a story from the Daily Mail that finds 69 percent of Republicans believe that Biden, uh, his win was illegitimate and that there was widespread fraud. But let's play this clip first. We got Patrick Bet David. He rocks. And Joe Rogan, also very great. How much election fraud do you think is real? Here we go, Joe. You want to go to election fraud? <laughs> yeah, because I don't think it's zero. No, it's no not way. zero. I think we could all agree it's not zero. No way it's not zero. And we know yeah. that these voting machines can be fucked with. Yeah. And we know yeah. that there's some irregularities. Uh, all that, that Cary Lake stuff in mm-hmm. Arizona yeah. that they're trying to dismiss, it doesn't look like that's invalid. It looks like there's real fraud there. It looks like there's some real shenanigans there. At the very least, there was voting machines that weren't working properly, and it seems very suspicious that a lot of them were in Republican areas. There's a lot of shenanigans. There's a, and I think there's coordinated efforts to make sure that certain people get elected. I don't know how far they go, but I know it's not zero. He's right. It is not zero. Even Bill Barr said it wasn't zero. Mm-hmm. And that's the big question. 69% of Republicans think there was widespread fraud and Biden did not win. So uh, there was a tweet. It was Robbie Starbuck put out a poll saying, do you think we're in a civil war? And uh, of course, you all know how I voted in that poll. <laughs> but uh, the overwhelming majority of people said yes. There were four choices. One was nowhere not. And then one was not yet, but soon. And that was the second most voted position. So here's the way I'll frame it. And I've, I guess I've said this before. It all depends on where we go next. If Donald Trump is cleared of all charges, SCOTUS says these charges are, are, are po- politicking and weaponizing the, the Justice Department. Trump ends up winning. Trump fires a handful of people. There are some reforms. It's a little, a little tumultuous, but mostly we just we, we move past it. No one will ever talk about this as a civil war or a revolution or a conflict. They'll just say, you know, there was a rough patch. If it does escalate beyond where we are now, not just today, but probably January 6th, probably 2016 will be considered the second civil war period. So 50, 100 years from now, if whatever is happening now does break out in a hot conflict, or totalita- totalitarianism or something, they'll write. The conflict all started in 2015 when the, when the Clinton campaign falsely accused her chief rival of being a spy working for, this, for the Russian government. And that kicked off a chain of events which resulted in impeachments, street battles. I think for January sure 6th. it'll go back to September 11th and the Patriot Act. If, if it gets to like, this is the time of history where the United States ended, it will be remembered that that, that stupid bill that let you put throw people in jail with no cause. But that's, that, that's, is the that's, reason, that's where it all began. They won't say that. That's reductive. They better when say we look at When we look at the, the, the Civil War period, you could bring up Bleeding Kansas, but nobody considers that the Civil War. They consider it like a component of pre-Civil War. And then if you go back a couple decades to like, um, what was it? I think the 1850s, the, the, the um, what was it? The Catching Slaves Act or whatever was a big catalyst because the bill was basically if slaves escaped to the south to the north, the north would have to return yeah, the them. The Fugitive Slave Act. Fugitive Slave Act. And the north said, you got it. The bill was passed. And then the north said, yeah, right. We're not doing that. So the south was basically saying, if the federal government passes laws, the north will not adhere to. What is the point of a federal government? It does nothing. Yep. And the, the but, demos- but we, we don't we don't go back and say it all started here with the Fugitive Slave Act. No, we say it was a component and people will consider 9-11 as a component. 
But the Civil War period, I believe, likely it, it theoretically has a bunch of components that lead into with like Occupy Wall Street, the Great Recession, well, Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, it was demoralizing, destabilizing for the United States. It bankrupted our country. But the shift was 2015. I wouldn't define a civil war unless there was unless there was. I, when I say violence, I guess I don't mean just Black Lives Matter violence or Antifa violence. I would call it like if there's conflict violence, like a hot war. I would describe what we're in right now as a cultural revolution, which can be a precursor to a hot war. It can be a precursor to a civil war. I voted in that poll, too, and I voted well, not uh, yet, but soon. Kind uh, of like TBD, dot, dot, dot. Cultural revolution just means one side's not fighting back. That's exactly what's happening, yeah. Mm. I mean, because, you know, whenever people say we're not in a civil war because there's no hot conflict yet, I'll just say Aaron Danielson was shot twice in the chest by a guy with a Marxist tattoo with a BLM tattoo on his neck. Yeah, you're just not paying attention to it. There's been a ton of violence. The The BLM riots was a major component of whatever this cultural civil war or, or uh, cultural revolution is. And yeah, perhaps it is just a revolution, a communist revolution. I like that cultural revolution. That's it, what I think is, is happening. It's the same thing that Mao did. It's in the fifties. It's the same thing. The whole dividing people into the left and the right is that what Mao did to create a cultural revolution, so that then you can pull the tail on one of the dogs and they they start chasing right. each other, and you're the crazy monkey that gets to watch. This is what the first half of my book is about. So like. I, when we see all these crazy things, like we just describe it as like, oh, our culture's in chaos or we're watching critical race theory and trans ideology being indoctrinated into our kids. And I'm like, OK, why is this all happening at the same time? I mean, I know that Republicans don't fight back, so maybe they just thought it was an easy in. But this seems like a concerted effort here. Yeah. yeah. How did we get here? And it turns out, as I looked into this, the answer to that is less of a why and more of a who. As I researched it, I found the people and the organizations behind each of the ta the attacks on all these cultural institutions, and they are invariably Marxists. I mean, even the Black Lives Matter movement that you just mentioned, I mean, this is the obvious one. People are familiar with this, but the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement are openly Marxists. They brag about being trained Marxists. You see all these books. I mean, I see you have genderqueer sitting here on the table. I mean, the president of the American Library Association is a self-avowed Marxist. These people are actual communists, actual Marxists, and they are using the destabilization of our cultural institutions, the civil institutions, to get us to economic destabilization so that they can topple our government. That is the definition of a cultural revolution. People are just like, whoa, communist, Marxist, like it's just Republican versus Democrat. And if you actually peel back the layers and look at who's behind this, it's not a coincidence. It's not chaos. It's actual Marxism. Hey, Why do you Canada. think they embraced Marxism? I think that they are ideological Marxists. I think Marxism is is we think of it economically when we think of Karl Marx and the Communist Manifesto. We think of the uh, working class overthrowing the ruling class. And I think that that didn't really work. It didn't they didn't it never caught on to become the global revolution that they wanted. So it sort of died out. But then Antonio Gramsci, he was this uh, Italian Marxist founder of the Italian Communist Party or co-founder, said, well, listen, if you observe the cultural revolutions that were successful or these Marxist revolutions, they started culturally. First, you overtake the civil institutions that the working class rely on to destabilize society. And then they're willing to actually revolt against the ruling class. Like the root of all of this is economically they're anti-capitalist. And then many, I mean, Many, if you if you analyze the Marxist or the communist ideology, there's a spiritual aspect of it, too. I mean, the United States is being targeted because we are fundamentally a Christian nation built on Christian morals, built on Judeo-Christian morals. And Marxists can't stand that. Can you explain the difference between communism and Marxism? Yeah, it's essentially uh, this, the same thing. It's just a specific version of it. So communism is this false idea that there can be collective ownership of everything, that there is 
There's no private property. There's no one person in charge. It's just everybody owns everything. Marxism is uh, the tool to achieve that. So Marxism pits one class against another, one saying that, you know, the working class is oppressed. They are oppressed by the ruling class. And in order to achieve communism, Marxism is the revolutionary tactic. That's why it's important, I think, to differentiate between communism and the Marxists that are behind the Cultural Revolution here, because they are trying to destabilize our society using that tactic to achieve communism. So there could be other tactics to achieve communism than Marxism, including perhaps economic um, technocracy, something yeah. where we're all the same in a machine. Yeah, technocracy is. So that's actually really interesting. I have a whole chapter in my book about technocracy because technocracy is ruled by the experts, right? Like you, you can't you can't question Fauci because Fauci is the technocrat. The root of technocracy can be traced all the way back to French socialists and Russian Marxists who were part of the Bolshevik Revolution. There was a, a, a Russian Marxist who actually described technocracy as a stepping stone from capitalism to communism. Because this was always the problem for communists and Marxists, right? People aren't just going to wake up one day and be like, oh, cool, we live in a free society. Yes, I'd love to have communism. There has to be some frog in a pot of boiling water moment in a culture where people are slowly introduced, you know, incrementally into communism. Technocracy is a stepping stone for that. That's why we see it with the administrative state. We see it with Fauci. We see it with like, once you have kids, you see this all the time in like the pediatrician industry. You as a parent aren't allowed to question anything, anything from breastfeeding to co-sleeping to vaccines. You have to defer to the experts. It's everywhere. And it's conditioning people not to question, not to dissent, just to obey, which is the communist way. Are there historically uh, examples of, of nations or people going towards that communist route and then stopping and saying, hell no, realizing what's happening and turning Civil around? wars break out. Has it ever been a peaceful um, regurgitation? I, I, I think it's probably hard to cite examples because it wouldn't be documented as a significant moment if it just reversed itself and never really went that it's way. It's a good question, though, because it's kind of a chilling question if you think about it. If we can't sit here and name... A cultural revolution that headed or that was trying to transform a free society to a communist society, it means that often it wasn't stopped. It right. either wasn't significant enough or it wasn't stopped because the examples that I can think of are examples that took a relatively free or relatively religious society and turned it into oppression, tyranny and death. There's the inverse. There's Spain. The communists mm -hmm. and the and the and the Republicans or the nationalists were fighting. And then it was the right that won that one. And same yeah. in, in, in Germany, the Nazis destroyed right. the communists. The Nazis, I mean, one of the principal components of their propaganda was to fight communism. Yeah, the Bolsheviks. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, I believe there's a way to do it peacefully with this technology, but I mean, it's owned by the technocrats, so I don't know how that works. That's, I'd like I mean, to say what I think online, guys. Sorry. That goes back to what I was saying before about like the augmented reality. That's why I I don't consider myself a cynic. I do consider myself a skeptic because I don't trust these people. I don't trust the like AI. People always talk about AI being this like sentient being this like this this thing that can take over and think for itself. And I'm like, no, somebody is behind writing the algorithms of all of those things. And that somebody is someone whose ideology is very different than ours, who wants to use that to influence the way that we or our children or whoever think so that they can convince those people to act in certain ways that benefit their political ideology. Thanks for watching this clip from the Timcast IRL podcast. Hang out with us live. Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. and become a member over at TimCast.com for uncensored members-only shows exclusive. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll see you all next time.
Cherry Lake supporter, bro. Yes. Um, I I am a supporter of anyone that's an advocate for free speech, anti-censorship, and freedom and my rights. I'm in Arizona. I thought I was safe. Um, I'm not getting into it, but what they did to Cary Lake, I I shouldn't go there. But there's Arizona was the last free place or one of them um, because like Texas is debatable. Florida is pretty free. Um, South Dakota is free, but Arizona something. Everyone needs to be paying attention to what happened there. Yeah, the, the the Arizona election debacle refuses to go away as even Joe Rogan is now addressing it. We're going to see the discussion on the largest podcast platform on the planet. We're going to see the latest in Kerry Lake's lawsuit and make sure to stick them in the very end of this video when I'll reveal what Rogan's coverage means for the future of freedom in our nation. You are not going to want to miss this. Fellow YouTuber Jimmy Crissetti was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast, the number one podcast in the world, when the issue of the shenanigans surrounding the election in Maricopa County came up. Are you a Carrie Lake supporter, bro? Yes. Um, I, I am a supporter of anyone that's an advocate for free speech, anti-censorship, and freedom and my rights. I'm in Arizona. I thought I was safe. Um, I'm not getting into it, but what they did to Carrie Lake, I, don't, I shouldn't go there. But there's Arizona was the last free place or one of them. Um, cause like Texas is debatable. Florida is pretty free. Um, South Dakota is free, but Arizona, something, everyone needs to be paying attention to what happened there. Yeah. The, the, the irregularities when it came to the, the reports that people had w- at the places where they were trying to vote is really wild. Like I wish I knew what was true so I could actually comment on it. My, what I witnessed, uh, walking my dog in different neighborhoods was a lot of Cary Lake signs and I didn't see one single one of Hobbs. Uh, and Katie Hobbs, like her social media on Instagram had like 6,000 followers, on, like literally on the election night compared to Carrie Lakes at like 300,000. And I'm like, you, th- that means something. It doesn't necessarily prove anything. But my point is that people I was talking to, she had a huge, huge, huge following. She was doing all the debates. Katie Hobbs hid. But I know what happened. I mean, I don't have proof. What do you think happened? Are you allowed to say these things? Right? These are the things that they go like what this you to you, think? Joe. If you go, you know what I mean. This is like one of those things where you, you they, they so go like this to you. You think there was some manipulation that led to someone else winning? Perhaps. You'd have to be stupid not to conclude that. If anyone that's looked into this, you would have. It's an insult. It's insulting my intelligence to think that something. Let me just say it like this. I just have some questions. That's all. Well, all like, the people that were, was it Maricopa County? Is yes. that the, the area where they had the most irregularities were also the most Republicans? Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, Maricopa County has a lot of blue to it, too. But listen, so, Trump Lake won has there. has provided no evidence to support her claims of election fraud. Well, this is on Newsweek.com, which is totally unbiased. I love that. <laughs> Rogan was being facetious there. You know, of course, Newsweek, totally unbiased, absolutely unbiased, right? In fact, I think Rogan knows that the legacy media is an intrinsic part of this overall pattern of deception. So what you've got, there was perhaps the single most publicized, most broadcasted coverage of what's been happening in Maricopa County. As you know, there was a veritable plague of irregularities on Election Day that was actually admitted to by election officials in Maricopa County. They admitted to a radically faulty election. Things were so bad on Election Day that the Arizona Attorney General's office had to get involved. An official letter was sent from the Attorney General's office to Maricopa County officials demanding explanations for the myriad of election issues that raised significant questions as to the county's compliance with state election law. I mean, it was widely observed that 
broken tabulators led to massively long lines reportedly turning a number of voters away who never came back or who did and found that the lines were even longer and said, never mind. The chairman of the Maricopa County elections originally claimed that 20 percent, 20 percent of voting machines were affected. Well, that number has now reached by some accounts as high as 60 percent, more than half of the voting machines and three times what we were originally told. But all those irregularities, even a letter from the attorney general's office, that didn't matter to the powers that be who turned around and certified Katie Hobbs sordid victory in Maricopa County. Other county officials were livid over this. Mojave County, Cochise County, Yavapai, Gila. They all delayed their certification of their votes in protest for the utter incompetence, what really appeared to be nothing less than willful incompetence on the part of Maricopa County election officials. But then the various board of supervisors were threatened with lawsuits and with charges of felonies if they didn't certify the election results. Carrie Leak's team, of course, sued and they did get their day, actually two days in court. They unequivocally showed first that Maricopa County officials broke chain of custody procedures, rendering hundreds of thousands of ballots as invalid. And secondly, Maricopa County officials misprinted Election Day ballots, causing mass delays, which experts and legal witnesses testified cost Lake the election. There is no way that anyone watching those proceedings could come away with any other conclusion, as this guest Jimmy Crossetti confirmed. Katie Hobbs' legal team, uh, for their part, was an absolute embarrassment. They didn't even deny any of that happened. They just claimed it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. But the judge in this case set the bar of proof higher than what Arizona law requires. The judge required that Carrie Lake's team needed to prove that all of those irregularities and mishaps were actually intentional, which is not just ridiculous. It's also not necessary according to Arizona law. If Arizona legal precedent were maintained here, Carrie Lake would not have to prove that actual fraud or maladministration of an election took place. All she would have to do is show that there were irregularities, mishaps, mistakes, omissions, any all these other issues that bring the integrity of the election outcome into doubt, which is exactly what her team did made all the more evident by the incompetence of Katie Hobbs' legal team. But the judge in this case maintained these impossible-to-prove standards and found in favor of Katie Hobbs. So obviously, Carrie Lake is appealing this decision. She's appealing it based on Arizona legal precedent. Again, the key here, according to Arizona law, I mean, rationally speaking, she doesn't have to prove what the judge required of her. She doesn't have to prove maladministration. She only has to prove that there were various irregularities that could have inordinately affected the election results, which is enough to render the certification invalid and order a new election, a runoff, presumably in Maricopa County alone, because there just were no other issues outside of Maricopa. Now, all of that said, what's the significance of this being talked about on the biggest podcast program on the planet? Many commentators are recognizing that we're living in the midst of what some are calling the Joe Rogan revolution. In short, it's an information 
revolution, where knowledge and news are more and more bypassing the old and increasingly irrelevant legacy media gatekeepers and reaching consumers directly. Back in the 19th and 20th centuries, News and information came to us primarily through the mediation of corporate institutions, either in the form of newspapers or the advent of radio and television, the major broadcast networks. As such, these media corporations basically had a monopoly over information dissemination dispersal, very much the same way the post office had a virtual monopoly over how we communicated with each other long distance before, of course, the phones. Those days are now over. What the Joe Rogan podcast is a part of is the rise of something called the Network Society. Scholars have observed that we are in the midst of nothing less than a massive media revolution. For example, you'll notice that virtually 100% of the initial video documentation of any significant event of late is not coming from news cameras or from satellite trucks. The -the on-the-ground, in-real-life video capturing any significant event comes from eyewitnesses who were present at that event recording it on their smartphones. That's the network society. It's a new social order that's decentralizing and disestablishing news information via digital networks like the internet. And it's one that the legacy media simply cannot compete with anymore, largely because news and information is now bypassing the legacy media in a manner comparable to the ways in which email and texting bypass the post office. That's why Joe Rogan has an audience literally five times the size of CNN and MSNBC and the network news companies combined. So to close the loop here, Katie Hobbs thought she could get away with this because the legacy media would give her cover. The legacy media clearly believes that Trump and the MAGA movement is an existential threat to the nation. What Katie Hobbs didn't count on was that the new media, the media of the network society, bypassing the legacy media and bringing information from Maricopa to light to a wider world is what is the future. And that's what's happening with Joe Rogan. It promises to help cultivate a far more free and flourishing society, one where the Katie Hobbs of the world will be but a distant and not all too soon forgotten memory. As always, make sure to smack that bell and subscribe button. You'll definitely want to check out my latest video on Carrie Lake shocking the courts. All his efforts to recall Katie Hobbs have begun. You're going to absolutely love it. So make sure to click on that link and I'll see you over there. God bless. Patriot Front 2.0. Mr. Reagan. So there is a new Patriot Front group in town, and they're even more fake than fake Patriot Front. So if you guys don't remember, a few years back, this group called Patriot Front started marching around various places in America claiming to be conservative patriots and causing a scene. They were labeled by the media as right-wing champions of Caucasian superiority. Now, I'm making an effort to avoid the trigger words on YouTube that might get this video censored, but you guys should be able to decode that cryptic message there, I think. Anyway, the media claimed that this uh, Patriot Front group was right-wing champions of Caucasian superiority, and yet they were very obviously fake. They were immediately identified by conservatives Uh, such as myself, as disguised agents of the federal government, executing an operation to psychologically trick the American people. The goal of this trick was to convince Americans that right-wing champions of Caucasian superiority were still prominent here in America. 
This, of course, is not true, but that's what they wanted people to believe. And now, now there is a new fake group. And this fake group is even more outrageous than the original group. And they are really trying to make conservatives look bad. This group is called Blood Tribe, and they don't just carry American flags. They actually carry 1930s German flags. Now, just like with Patriot Front, this group was immediately clocked by conservatives as being fake. Any of you guys federal informants? No. No? Not a single one of you? Absolutely not. None of you do any snitching. And honestly, it's pretty laughable. But maybe we shouldn't be laughing because as ridiculous as this group is, what they're doing is actually very dangerous. The problem, as I see it, with Patriot Front and now this blood tribe group, and I presume there will be other government organized fake groups just like these, is that they don't really push the race stuff very much. They express primarily pretty standard conservative ideas. Now, certainly they have more radical race stuff on their websites and social media accounts. And that stuff's often difficult to find. I looked through Patriot Front's website. It was very difficult to find the racially you know, divisive stuff, but it was there. But their most vocal expressions are things that basically all conservatives would say. Like these guys are saying that pedophilia is bad. I mean, that's a very mainstream conservative idea. And most Democrats would also agree with this. And yet this group dresses in this like quasi militant way and they carry guns and 1930s German flags, stuff like that. And so typical uninformed centrist Americans, they're going to be like, oh, these guys are scary. They're, and their views are the same as conservatives, you know, regular conservatives I see on TV and on YouTube. And then and so these guys, you know, regular Americans, they're going to make that association. These guys have the same views as conservatives. They're scary. Conservatives are scary. It's a pretty simple tactic. And unfortunately, I fear that it's going to be very effective. Now, I don't know if these guys are actually federal agents or not. The federal agent theory is, you know, that groups like this are created in order to attract really like truly extreme right wing nut jobs. And, you know, it's basically an entrapment operation. And this is a totally legitimate theory. Uh, in fact, I think it's an extremely likely theory. However, I also think it's possible that these folks are being organized by a private party. The Lincoln Project, if you remember, organized just such a group in order to falsely connect the candidate Glenn Youngkin with extremists. And the viral campaign hoax that everyone is talking about will probably hurt McAuliffe. The disgraced Lincoln Project, which has spent more than a quarter of a million dollars on anti-Youngkin efforts, is now admitting that it orchestrated this stunt, sending this group to stand outside a Youngkin bus to pose as white supremacists with tiki torches. And look, I think there are lots of anti-conservative groups who would love to execute these kinds of hoaxes. And there are plenty of wealthy degenerates willing to fund such an operation. So I'm not fully convinced that this is a government operation, but even if it's a private, privately organized hoax group, they're probably in contact with, the, with federal agents in order to entrap the guys who genuinely hold the more extreme views that these, group es, these groups espouse. And if you're not already 100% convinced that these groups are leftists posing as right-wing champions of Caucasian superiority, then consider for a moment the khakis. Back when the Patriot Front group first appeared, everybody on the right, everybody in right-wing media, everybody on right-wing YouTube, we all immediately homed in on the khakis because this is like the standard apparel for certain federal agencies. And several popular memes expressed this sentiment. If you're going to try to trick people, maybe at least change the uniform. 
And although this isn't solid evidence, it's a pretty funny criticism. But this is how you know that these new folks, Blood Tribe, that these folks are definitely not conservatives because they're still sticking with the khakis. Because this tells me one of two things. Either they've heard the criticism, the ridicule over the khakis, and they don't mind people thinking that they're federal agents in disguise, or they haven't heard the criticism at all. Now, the first explanation makes no sense. A genuine group of extremists like this would never want people suspecting that they're federal agents. They need people to trust them. So I think, and this is this is a kind of speculative theory, but I think it's right. I think that these guys are all leftists and they're so fixed in their leftist ideology that they haven't even watched the conservative reports about Patriot Front and they haven't actually even heard the criticism about the khakis. And so they're still wearing the khakis thinking, oh, conservatives are going to think that we're a legitimate group of extremists. No, we, we don't think that you're a legitimate group of extremists. If you're going to try to trick us, again, at least change the uniform. But what's funny about this, like, like I said before, they need people to trust them. So actually, this entire aggressive display is irrational and counterproductive. I don't think any genuine group of extremists would do something like this because they know it scares the crap out of people. And just to check, because I had this theory that like, I don't think actual extremists would be like this. I went to the website stormfront.org. This is like a supremacy, whatever website. And I wanted to see what the people who sincerely hold these views think of about Patriot Front and this new group, Blood Tribe. Now, of Patriot Front, the comments were things like, they are almost certainly feds. And for those of you who aren't feds, keep performing the literature distributions. Thanks for your contribution. And their name is Patriot Front. Front equals fake or a false facade or fake patriots. And then about Blood Tribe, these folks wrote, uh, looks like more unlawful government alphabet soup gang orchestrated BS. Also, something rotten in the state of Denmark. And it's got to be staged. Also, somebody wrote, Antifa with different costumes, whether they be feds, frauds, or fools, this seems like a good group to stay away from. So, like, and, you know, I looked pretty carefully through this site, you know, searching through these uh, forums and stuff to try to figure out what people thought of this group. And even if somebody had something, like, vaguely nice to say about them or said, you know, you know, don't, don't assume that these people are feds, maybe they... You know, they're they're just idiots or something like that. There was nobody who like knew anybody in these groups. There was nobody that were like that was like, oh, I've checked these groups out. I've been to their meetings, whatever. Yeah, they're totally legit. Nobody actually seemed to have any firsthand knowledge of these groups. You'd think that at least somebody on that website would have some like connection to one of these groups, but nobody seemed to know anything about them. And it, everything on there was speculation. So from the people who actually talk about this extremism stuff is supremacy or whatever, you know, however people want to classify it. They don't seem to have any kind of connection with these groups. So these groups are their own thing. And I think pretty obviously phony. But as I said, a lot of low information centrist American voters will be fooled by this stuff. And, and because of that, it is dangerous. We do not need mainstream conservative views like pedophilia is bad associated with fake racial extremist lunatics. And so we need to fight back against these folks. We need true patriots confronting them. And uh, that actually happened 
I think like a couple weeks ago. Now, I can't show the full video here because I will get demonetized. But basically, these patriots identified fake Antifa slash federal agents, whatever they are, informants. I don't know. But they identified these patriot front fake patriots and they went over to them and they pulled their masks off. They actually like ripped their masks off their faces. You know, they wear those like I don't know what they call them, but gate neck gaiters or whatever, like Patriot Front always wears like the neck gaiters. So they start pulling these off and like videoing their faces. And I thought this was just great. You know, look, obviously nobody should act violently in any way ever. I could not advocate such a thing on YouTube. Obviously, that would be terrible. But demasking is demasking violence. I don't know. I don't know if I would classify that as violence personally. It's it's an interesting debate. Maybe that's a debate that people should have. Uh, on YouTube, uh, is demasking physical violence? I would say no. Other people might say yes. I don't know. But certainly demasking definitely needs to be done with these folks. Now, one of these guys was supposedly identified by people on Twitter, but it was pretty clear to me that this was just made up crap. The guy was not identified accurately at all. And I suspect this was, you know, possibly like a counterintelligence thing, just throwing out a fake name. So, you know, to protect the the loser who who actually got demasked. Now, Patriot Front does not carry guns as far as I've ever seen, but this blood tribe does carry guns. And uh, I actually suspect that maybe this blood tribe tribe gun toting thing started because of the little unmasking incident here. I mean, unmasking these fakers will be a lot scarier if they're armed, right? But still, it is something that needs to be done. Creating the illusion that conservatives are crazy extremists is an incredibly dangerous lie. The problem, of course, is that conservatives, we we are not the crazy extremists that Democrats try to pretend that we are. And so they have to perform this kind of cosplay BS in order to make it look that way. And it's actually pretty funny to me that you've got the Antifa types. They're out cosplaying as civil rights protesters, pretending that America is, you know, is all bigoted and evil. And now, because they're, you know, protesting against this imaginary enemy, another faction of leftists are cosplaying as that imaginary enemy, right? So leftists are cosplaying both as the heroes and the villains now in their imaginary version of America. You know, leftists really do live in a crazy fantasy world. It's funny, but it's also incredibly sad. Well, that's it for me. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. And remember, it is not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just they know so much that is not so. Good night. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening.